Gracious be to our loving Father that we are again gathered together to study the words of our Father so that we can learn more about his plan of salvation, which we know centers around the Logos, who happens to be our King, Yahusha HaMashiach. Today we're going to talk about the historicity of Yahusha. We're going to focus on extra-biblical sources to demonstrate and to prove that Yahushua HaMashiach indeed existed. He lived on earth, that he died and resurrected. Now, why are we devoting this time to, to teach about the historicity of our king? Let's go to the first uh, biblical passage we're going to read today. In the book of Acts 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, what we read to you concerns the mission that we all have as members of the Assembly of Yahushua. What is that? It is our commissioning to tell people about Yahushua, to be his witnesses. And so we are to go out there, we are to be sent out, to tell about Yahushua. Now, what are we going to speak about Yahushua? When we tell people about our King and Messiah, what shall we say to them? What must we include in our message? In the book of Acts 1 and the verses 3, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, referring to, of course, our King Yahushua, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And so when we speak about our King Yahushua, what must we include in our witness? We need to tell them about how he suffered, how he died, how he resurrected, how he ascended, and how he will return to establish the kingdom of God. This is why we talk about the Moedim. We talk about the gospel. We talk about the plan of God in his work of redemption and restoration. As a matter of fact, this is why we have this program called The Logos. It is dedicated in telling the people, witnessing for our King Yahushua, that many more can be embraced by his salvation. This is also the reason why we have other biblical programs like the BHP, the BQA, and also our worship services. So when we proclaim and be witnesses of our King Yahushua, we use as our source, of course, the Bible, the words of God, because it's the basis of our faith. And so when people ask us, why do you believe Yahushua is the Messiah, the King? Because of the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. The Word of God is the basis of our faith. So we share our knowledge our understanding of who Yahushua is using the Holy Bible. However, there are many people today who don't believe in the Holy Bible, right? They think it's just another man-made book. And this is the popular belief among young people today. And many people today who go to college and universities, those who claim to be wise, they reject the Bible as a sacred text. It's just a regular man-made book. And so when we speak about Yahushua and we try to convince them to place their hope and trust in Yahushua, well, they don't really believe because it's only from the Holy Bible. Does it mean we're not going to witness to people who reject the Bible? We should because there are also other sources that teach about the historicity of our King Yahushua. Can we demonstrate that Yahushua existed without the Bible? Actually, yes, we can. This is what this episode of the Logos is all about, how we can respond to people who say to us, I don't believe in the Bible. I mean, has that ever happened to you before? You're trying to share our King Yahushua, and they say, oh, I don't believe in the Holy Bible. I don't believe there's a real quote-unquote, Jesus, he is just a myth, he is just a legend. And so they dismiss Yahushua altogether. But what if we can respond in a way that causes them to investigate the Bible? 
because we cite other sources outside the Bible. And so we give it to them uh, piecemeal, right? We get them curious because there's historical validity that confirm the existence of our King Yahusha. Once they receive that, they become curious. Well, what does the Bible actually say about this Christ, this Messiah? And so we're going to look at sources outside the Holy Bible that confirm the existence and even the ministry of our King Yahushua. So we're going to use what scholars call the art or the science of historical investigations. Because scholars today, when they study figures of the past, like Washington, George Washington, or Abraham Lincoln, or Mussolini, or Stalin, or Alexander the Great, they go back in the history of time and look at these historical figures. How do scholars conduct their investigation? Well, when they, whenever they speak of a historical figure and they rely on historical documents, there's, to be honest with you, according to these scholars, there's no such thing as 100% certainty. For example, if you were to ask, are you 100% certain that Abraham Lincoln really existed, right? You cannot be 100% certain. Now, no one's gonna doubt the existence of Abraham Lincoln. You talk to a student today or a person somewhere in the United States, you're gonna say, yes, I believe that that Abraham Lincoln actually existed. However, according to scholars, you can't be 100% certain. What they talk about is not certainty, but degrees of certainty, plausibility. For example, Abraham existed and it's 89% plausible or 90% plausible. And so there are degrees of certainty. And how is how are the degrees of certainty kind of measured? How is authenticity or degree of uh, a degree of certainty measured? Well, two things primarily, there's more than two things, but the two number one things that historians or scholars, those who study and investigate history, look for are two things. Number one, it's what is called multiple attestation. What does this mean? When you look at sources that are independent from each other, but they say the same things. For example, uh, you went to investigate an event in New York. You have one eyewitness and the eyewitness tells you this happened. Another eyewitness who, don't, who, who did not know the first eyewitness told you the same thing and it coincides. That is called multiple attestation. The more attestation, or the more independent sources, the better or the more plausible it is. That's number one, multiple attestation. What is number two? Enemy attestation. So if someone who is considered the enemy of someone and this enemy says something about this person, usually it's probably not all of it, but you know, this it is a source that you can, it's a source that you can use to kind of testify to the validity of that person. So multiple attestation, enemy attestation. For example, if you look at historical documents and we look at Greek sources and Roman sources and Jewish sources, and we know they are enemies of Yahushua, yet they confirm that he exists. Well, why would they confirm the existence of Yahushua if they were the enemies of the Christian faith? You get it? That's called enemy attestation. So we're going to look at sources from those who hate Christianity, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews. And then we're going to look and see what they believe according to their historical sources. Take note, this is outside the Bible. We're not talking about the New Testament here. We're talking about Greek Roman and Jewish sources, sources who do not like our King Yahushua. Let's go first with the Greek and Roman sources. Let's go with Suetonius, Gaius Suetonius Tranquilis, commonly re referred to as Suetonius, was a Roman historian who wrote during the early imperial era of the Roman Empire. His most important surviving work is a set of biographies of 12 successive Roman rulers from Julius Caesar to Domitian, properly titled De Vita Cicero. So in the first century, popular uh, historian was Suetonius. 
And this is what he says in one of his writings. He says, the Jews at Rome caused continuous disturbances at the instigation of Crestus. And so we know that during the first century, the Jews were under the jurisdiction of the Romans. The Jews did not have their own nation. They were under the leadership of Rome. And so whenever there were disturbances among the Jews and the Jewish leaders could not solve it on their own, they have to go to the Romans. And so Suetonius wrote about this person named Crestus. Now, who was he referring to? He was referring to the Messiah, the Christ. And this Crestus was a figure who disturbed the Jewish populace leading to even the Romans being disturbed. So, you know, he must have been somebody, right? He was not this uh, unknown figure, but one who created the stir. And to be able to create a disturbance, you know, not living in an age of information, an age where you have social media, he must have been doing something great, right? Because you're not going to create a disturbance if you're just going, if, if you're not a significant figure, and if you have done, if you have not done anything significant, he did something that caught the eye of the entire Jewish, not only the people, but even the leaders, the leadership, the Sanhedrin. Okay, so we know this was our King Yahusha, because in John 18, 28 to 30, Yahusha's trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they reported. And so here are King Yahusha because he's teaching, doing miracles, getting followers, criticizing the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. The high priest Caiaphas and the Jewish leadership body did not like what he was doing. And so what did they do? They arrested him. They tried him under Caiaphas, the high priest, and they wanted to kill him. But they can't make that decision on their own. So they had to get Pilate involved, who was the Roman governor. Now, of course, he did not want to be disturbed. But because of what was happening, this disturbance, well, Pilate had to be involved. And so what happened uh, when Pilate became involved? They, they then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Yahushua's prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Yahushua to be brought to him. Are you king of the Jews? He asked him. Yahushua replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate uh, re retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And so Yahusha is making claims and he's teaching things that offended the Jewish people. So they bring them to Pilate, who was dis disturbed to, and was called upon to step into to try Yahusha. And eventually we know what, what Pilate would do. He would sentence Yahushua to be crucified. So that was Suetonius. Let's go now to another historian, Pliny the Younger. Gaius Plinius Cecilius Secundus. <laughs> it's a long, nice name. Best known as Pliny the Younger. Much easier to remember. Was a successful Roman lawyer prosecuting corruption, government official, including the treasury, and author famous letters that paint an important picture of the Roman world around his lifetime. You know what he said? Remember, these are people who did not like Christians. He said, Christians sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God. And so this historian observed, and he noticed, there are people who follow this Christ. Not only do they follow him after he was crucified, they follow him and worship him as though he is a God because they sing hymns to him. What does that tell you about Christ, about Christ? He actually existed. 
confirmed by these historians. And in Ephesians 5.19, speak to one another with the words of psalms, hymns, and sacred songs. Sing hymns and psalms to the Lord with praise in your hearts. Suddenly Yahusha met them and said, peace be with you. They came up to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. The disciples, the followers of Rakim Yahusha, they worshipped him and sang songs to him. Because singing songs and hymns dedicated to a person is one way that you kind of uh, elevate him and worship him. This is why we don't sing songs about our leaders here on earth. We sing songs dedicated to who? Our king, Yahusha. Who else? Lucian of Samosata uh, was a Hellenized Syrian uh, satirist, uh, rhetorician, and pamphleteer who is best known for his characteristic tongue-in-cheek style in which he frequently ridicules superstition, religious practices, and belief in the paranormal. This is what he said about Christ. Take a look. Christians worship a man to this day who was crucified. And so here we have a historian who confirms not only that Christ existed, that he was worshipped, but he died by crucifixion. And we know this to be true because it's in the Bible. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. Who else? There's Celsus, second century Greek philosopher and anti-Christian columnist. Fragments from his The True Word are preserved in Origen's reputation of the book Contra Celsum. Now, many of these Roman and Greek philosophers and historians, they despise Christianity, but more so by this guy, Celsus. He didn't like uh, Yahushua. This is what he said. Uh, Jesus was hired out to go to Egypt. While there, he acquired magical powers. And so here, Celsus basically confirms for us that Yahushua did not just exist, but he was able to perform wonders and miracles. And so what was Celsus trying to do? Explain how he was able to perform those great wonders and miracles. And so, so that people would not believe in Jesus or in Yahushua, what does he say in his history books? Oh, he acquired his magical powers from Egypt or black magic. And so he confirms for us that he did perform miracles. And Apostle Peter does too. Men of Israel, hear these words, Yahushua of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. We also have Mara Bar Serapion. Uh, Mara Bar Serapion was a Stoic philosopher from the Roman province of Syria. He is noted for a letter he wrote in Aramaic to his son, who was named Serapion. The letter was composed sometime after 73 AD, but before the third century, and most scholars dated to shortly after 73 AD during the first century. So what does he say? about the king. Well, he says, what advantage came to the Jews by the murder of their wise king? So according to this historian, not only did Yahushua exist, he was re regarded as one who is wise and one who is regarded as king, <laughs> right? You see that? And so he was a wise man who has kingly authority. Acts 2.23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. We also have Tacitus in his book, Annals. Publius Cornelius Tacitus, born 56 AD, known simply as Tacitus, was a Roman historian and politician. Tacitus is widely regarded as one of the greatest Roman historians by modern scholars. And so when he writes... Historians know it is reliable. And this is what he said. Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on the class hated for their abominations called Christians by populace, Christus 
from whom the name it had had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And so here, Tacitus confirms many things about Yahusha. He, he was around, he was born during the time of Tiberius, and he will be handed over to Pontius Pilate. And so one of some of the key players that were around when Yahusha was on earth was Tiberius and Pontius Pilate. And this was what also was mentioned by Luke. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. And so Tacitus basically confirms what the Bible says about the time, the location of the ministry of our king, Yahusha. Tacitus also called uh, the people who followed him Christians. And this is what happened in Acts 11, verse 26. In Antioch, they were first called Christians. And so, and also that the Christians were persecuted by Nero. And when you think about that, when a person, one, one who follows Christ is willing to give up his own life because Nero wanted to blame the Christians for what, the burning of the city. And so he wanted to make them like the scapegoats. The Christians were given the opportunity to recant their faith, but they would rather die instead of recant their faith. That tells you a lot about these followers, that they really believed in Yahushua and that they know that he was crucified and that he was resurrected. These are Greek and uh, Roman sources. Now let's go to Jewish sources. A Jewish, The Jewish uh, populace really did not like our king, Yahushua. And one of the most famous and perhaps most reliable of the Jewish historians, one that would be counted upon to tell us and give us insight about first century um, times when Yahushua was on earth, was Flavius Josephus. How many here have heard of Josephus? I think most of us have, right? He was born 37 AD, was a Roman Jewish historian, military leader. He fought against uh, Rome. But he surrendered and he provided his services um, to Rome, being a historian and a translator. And he wrote for them. So best known for writing about the Jewish war. He was born in Jerusalem, then part of the Roman province of Judea, to a father of priestly descent and a mother who claimed royal ancestry. Joseph, Josephus recorded the great Jewish revolt, including the siege of Masada. His most important works were the Jewish war and the antiquities of the Jews. The Jewish war recounts the Jewish revolt against Roman occupation. Antiquities of the Jews recounts the history of the world from a Jewish perspective for an ostensibly Greek and Roman audience. So he wrote for the Greeks. He wrote for the Romans, being a representative of the Jewish people. These works provide valuable insight into first century Judaism and the background of early Christianity. So Josephus, who was a Jew, who did not like Yahushua, right? Who did not like the Christians. And so if he did, if he wanted to dampen the Christian movement, all he had to do was deny his existence. Is that what he did? In his book, Antiquities, book 18, this is what he says. Now there was a time, there was about this time, Jesus, a wise man, so he said he's a wise man, if it lawful to be called him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was called the Christ. Did jo Josephus deny the existence of Christ? No. He said he was a wise man teacher, many people followed him, and most of all, he was a doer of what? Wonderful works, miraculous works. So here's a Jewish historian who affirms the existence and the work of our King Yahusha as a teacher and doer of wonderful works. What else does he say? And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross. Those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. 
for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and ten thousands other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians, so named for him, are not extinct at this day. That's pretty powerful confirmation of the work of our King Yahushua, that he was sentenced by Pilate to die on the cross, and that he knows that the disciples believed that he rose on the third day, and because of this, it produced the Christian movement who continues to be strong to that very day. And in book 18, he says he was a doer of wonderful works. In book 20, he says a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ, was put on trial in Jerusalem. This is very interesting because Josephus names this, I mean, for you to be included in the history book, you, have, you had to have done something great. James was a nobody before because he doubted. He didn't believe the brother, in, you know, half-brother uh, Yahusha. He didn't believe. But something happened that caused him to believe. So much so, he became a leader of the Jerusalem church. And it caught the ire of the Jewish leaders. That's why he was put to trial and eventually put to death. And so the one who kind of documented this transformation from being a doubter of Yahushua to being a leader representing Yahushua after he resurrected was James. And he, one who noted that was Josephus. And so here we have Josephus confirming the brother of Yahushua, James, and also the ministry of James, and also Yahushua, who inspired many to become martyrs for his sake. And also we have the Babylonian Talmud based on the teachings of the Mishnah, the Tosefta and other rabbinic works. The rabbis of Babylonia, known as Amoraim, accumulated generations of scholarship, interpretations, and discussion arranged as a flowing commentary on much of the Mishnah. The Babylonian Talmud presents his wisdom in a mix of Hebrew and Aramaic. So the Babylonian Talmud is a history book and also a book of doctrine and also records the rabbi's commentaries on the Tanakh. And so the in one of its books, the Sanhedrin 43a, it says on the eve of the Passover, Yeshu, this is how, this is a short, uh, what do you call it, a nickname for Yahushua, Yeshu was hanged. And so they confirm the death of our king, Yahushua. He was hanged. And what is that in reference to? The cross. He was hung on the cross. And so this was confirmed by the Babylonian Talmud. So what we find is according to these sources, Yahusha existed. He was a teacher, a doer of wonderful works. Many people followed him. He was sentenced to death by Pilate. He died. And the followers of our King Yahusha also were willing to die for him. In fact, according to the, Bach, the, the, the Fox Book of Martyrs, from 54 AD to 313 AD, the disciples of Yahusha underwent severe persecution. Five million believers died for Yahusha during this period. I mean, if Yahusha did not exist, if he was just a myth or a legend, would five million people die for him? Would you die for Hercules? Would you die for these Greek myths? No, these people died for Yahushua. What does that mean? They've seen something out of the ordinary. They've seen something so wonderful. They were willing to say, I'm not going to recant my faith. I would rather die in the arena to be killed by beasts, to be burned in fire, than to give up my faith in Yahushua. He believed Yahushua. What he taught, what he did, and that he resurrected and ascended, that he would return to give them life everlasting. So when you look at these non-biblical resources from enemies of the Christian faith, multiple attestation and enemy attestation produces, produces these following facts. Yahushua was on the earth during the time of Tiberius and Pontius Pilate. He, he, he did a ministry in Jerusalem. He had a brother named James who died for him. He was, he was a wise man, a teacher with many Jewish and Gentile followers. He did miracles. He was called the Christ. 
He had a kingly status. He was tried by Pilate. He was crucified. Followers were called Christians. He was worshipped. Millions of believers would rather die for Christ than deny him. You get all these facts outside the Holy Bible. This is why when people can test, oh, Jesus is just a myth. He doesn't really exist. They don't know the historical record. They don't know the historicity of our king, Yahusha. No historical scholar today, none, maybe a few, but the overwhelming majority do not reject the historicity of our king, Yahusha, but they affirm the historicity of our king, Yahusha. In fact, we can compare the historicity of Yahusha to other historical figures. For example, no one probably doubts that Alexander the Great existed. But when you compare the historicity of Yahusha and the historicity of Alexander the Great in terms of document evidence, Yahusha's attestation far exceeds attestation for Alexander the Great. Because for Yahusha HaMashiach, the earliest fragment date uh, dates between 9080 to 150 AD. On the other hand, for Alexander the Great, it's a, a thousand years after he was born. 9080, 150 AD, it's only what, 40 years after he was born, or is that 60 years after he was born. And for Yahusha, over 25,000 handwritten documents. For Alexander the Great, 123 codices or bound manuscripts. And I want to comment on the 9080 to 150 AD because that's kind of too late. Uh, many historians believe that there's attestation for King Yahusha going back to within years, even months after the death of our King Yahusha because of the discovery of what are called creeds. You know what creeds are? This is like the, the talk of the town nowadays among historical scholars. Historians today who are looking into first century Christianity, all they're talking about today are the creeds. What are creeds? These are sermon summaries. You see, before the New Testament came, there were creeds. You know who wrote the first New Testament Bible? The first book? It was Apostle Paul. The first known, according to many scholars, the earliest of the, uh, the books of the Old Testament that was written was written by Paul in 52 AD. No scholars debate that. 52 AD, Apostle Paul wrote about Yahusha. But his material, including the Apostle Paul, Peter's material, including Luke's material, contain what are called creeds, sermon summaries. Apparently, after the resurrection of our King Yahusha, after his ascension, creeds were passed from people to people, generation to generation. And these creeds were like sermon summaries, like bullet points of the most important things we need to believe about our King Yahusha. This is an example of a creed. For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance. And so here, Apostle Paul was citing about a creed that was given to him, and now he passes it to the Corinthians. I remember Corinthians was the first book written, 52 AD. And so Apostle Paul was talking about creeds. This creed was an existing sermon summary that he drawn on to create Corinthians 3 down to 7. This is the creed. That Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So this track, this sermon summary, was being passed from one Christian to the other. It was being spread all throughout uh, Judea and beyond. So the, Christ, the, Christ, the Christian faith was being spread. And what this can, essentially contains is the gospel message, right? The death, burial, and resurrection of our king, Yahusha. And when you read, for example, the book of Acts chapter 2, and Apostle Peter gives a speech, he was citing creeds. And so the existence of these creeds, according to scholars, date within less than five years after the death of Yahushua. And in fact, it's even plausible. It was within months after the crucifixion of our king, 
Yahusha. This is why no scholar today would deny the existence of Yahusha, except for a few, <laughs> like this guy, uh, Bill Maher. And he claims, oh, the Jesus story is just a myth. And Netflix, you know, even, I think the name of the document is called Religiosity or something like that. But there are many people today who deny the existence of Yahusha. They even say it comes from the Horus myth. And we did a whole study on the Horus mythology. And if you have time, please do go back uh, to that BQA episode and kind of look through it. But we know that biblical scholars today, they reject this idea that Yahusha is just a myth. No, he was a real historical figure. And if there's one who is the voice of authority when it comes to New Testament criticism and New Testament scholarship and historicity, it would be this guy, Bart Ehrman. And he wrote this book, Did Jesus Exist? Because he was shocked. You know why he wrote this book? He wrote this book because he was shocked that there were many um, ideas floating around that Jesus did not really exist, that he was a myth. He was shocked by that. So he writes this book, Did Jesus Exist? To counter this notion that he was just a product of mythology. That's why we want you to go back and look at that BQA episode to learn about how that process kind of works. And so Bart Ehrman, who is not a believer, he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in, Ye in Yahushua as a savior, but he believes Yahushua actually existed. And so when he wrote this book, he's kind of telling us in the book what historians do, how they investigate. And this is what he says from his book. Serious historians of early Christian movement, all of them, have spent many years preparing to be experts in their field. Just to read the ancient sources requires expertise in the range of ancient languages. Greek, Hebrew, Latin, and often Aramaic, Syriac, and Coptic, not to mention the modern languages of scholarship, for example, German and French. And that is just for starters. Expertise requires years of patiently examining ancient texts and a thorough grounding in the history and culture of Greek and Roman antiquity, the religious of the ancient Mediterranean world, both pagan and Jewish knowledge of the history of the Christian church and the development of its social life and theology and well, lots of other things. It is striking that virtually everyone who has spent all the years needed to attain these qualifications is convinced that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a real historical figure. He starts off with his book and he spoke about credible historians, that they are trained in various fields, and that a credible historians can tell if a fragment is a hoax or not, just like a person who is a trained jeweler can see, oh, this diamond is authentic. To the naked eye who is untrained, they all look good, right? But to one who studied it, you can tell. And so he studies all these ancient documents and all these individual scholars who studied ancient documents who were trained to find the inconsistencies in the document, which tells them that this is not true. This is not true. According to them, Jesus of Nazareth was a real historical figure. Can you imagine that? I mean, there are people today, oh, it's just a myth. He didn't really exist. Did you go through this training? <laughs> Did you examine all the historical documents for you to see that? Bert Ehrman and the other scholars who went into training to do that, they confirmed he did exist. He existed as a real historical figure. Not only that, take a look. And so with Did Jesus Exist, I do not expect to convince anyone in that book. What I do hope is to convince genuine seekers who really want to know how we know that Jesus did exist as virtually every scholar of antiquity, of biblical studies, of classics, and of Christian origins in this country, and in fact, in the Western world agrees. Many of these scholars have no vested interest in that matter. As it turns out, I myself do not either. I am not a Christian, and I have no interest in promoting a Christian cause or a Christian agenda. I am an agnostic with atheist leanings, and my life and views of the world would uh, be approximately 
the same whether or not Jesus existed. My beliefs would vary little. The answer to the question of Jesus' historical existence will not make me more or less happy, content, hopeful, likable, rich, famous, or immortal. But as a historian, I think evidence matters and the past matters. And for anyone to whom both evidence and the past matter, a dispassionate consideration of the case makes it quite plain. Jesus did exist. Beloved brethren, serious historians believe in the existence of Yahusha HaMashiach. If you were to declare Yahusha did not exist, it's the same thing as saying, I believe the earth is flat. <laughs> I believe in a flat earth. That's kind, of, that's kind of how ludicrous it is. And so according to historians, Yahusha existed. Here's another book. Um, written by Gary Habermas and Michael Lycona, also really, really scholars of uh, history. They take a minimal facts approach. What is a minimal fact? They consider a minimal fact what it meets these two criteria. Number one, the data has strong evidence backing it up. Okay, so it's not just any data. And so you go through uh, all of the, the historical documents and you filter out the data that do not have strong evidence. So you're left only with data that are strongly evidenced. And number two, the data are granted by virtually all scholars on the subject, even the skeptical ones. And so it has to be agreed upon by all or most of the scholars, like 90% of the scholars have to agree, okay, this data is legit, it's authentic. Uh, so using the two criteria, uh, these scholars, Gary Habermas and Michael R. Lycona, in their book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, they have five historical facts accepted by scholars. What are they? Number one, Yahusha died by crucifixion. It's not even debatable. He died and died by crucifixion. Number two, Yahusha's disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. Number three, the church persecutor Paul was suddenly changed. Number four, the skeptic James, the brother of Yahusha, was changed. And number five, the tomb was empty. And so these are indisputable, indisputable facts of history. What we have according to history outside the Bible is Yahusha died and then he resurrected. Why? Because the tomb was empty. And so there's no denying that. And so why would a person who knows and believes these historical facts not follow Yahusha? One would think these scholars would be converted, right? Why not? And so that question was asked to Gary Habermas, and his answer was, so, so when the latter is combined with all kinds of emotional desires not to have to change their entire worldviews, or especially their lifestyles. I talk to many of these folks on a regular basis. It is clear that they don't like the evidence or the changes it would necessitate. So they will believe almost any other view or just plain walk away from it. I cannot overstate how huge this is in the cases I see. So Gary Habermas, who works with scholars who believe in the evidence, who've seen the evidence and, and accept the evidence that Yahushua did die and that the tomb was empty, they still do not follow Yahushua. And the reason for that is because they don't want to change their worldviews. They don't want to change their lifestyles. And so they would rather accept a different worldview or walk away from it entirely. They don't want to have to deal with that. Nobody, they don't want to change the way they, they live. And sometimes these scholars, because they want to reject, you know, the, uh, the reality. So the, the scholars, they don't dispute that Yahushua died and that he resurrected. And so what do they do? They come up with different reasons for why that happened. And so this is one, it's uh, the swoon hypothesis the soon hypothesis is any of a number of ideas that aim to explain the resurrection of Jesus, proposing that Jesus did not die on the cross, but merely fell unconscious, swoon, and was later revived in the tomb in the same physical body. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you see, these scholars, they know, they cannot dispute the fact that Yahushua died, was crucified, and he resurrected, or he was alive again. They do not deny that. But what do they do? They come up with a different explanation. 
he was resurrected or he was alive because he never died. <laughs> he only looked dead. It's called the swoon theory. That's amazing. There's also the hallucination theory. The disciples had hallucinations of visions of Jesus risen from the dead. And so when they look at the evidence which tells us he existed, he died, and he resurrected, they reject it. I don't know about you, brethren, but for me, there's great historical attestation that Yahusha lived, he preached, he was worshipped, he died on a cross, and he resurrected. There's attestation, historical attestation for that, for that event for Yahusha and his ministry and the gospel message outside the Bible itself. But now, before we go ahead and conclude, I just want to share with you a very unusual and mysterious historical occurrence. And so here's an indirect attestation from the Jewish sources. Right? The Jews did not believe in Yahushua. But they are meticulous recorders of history. And they collect the opinions and teachings of the rabbis. Right? And among the Talmud, there's a section called the Yoma. Uh, the tractate Yoma is a specific section or tractate within the Talmud, a collection of Jewish teachings and laws. It focuses on the laws and rituals pertaining to the holy day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So the tractate discusses various aspects of the temple service on Yom Kippur, including the role of the high priest, the sacrifices that were offered, and the rituals of confession and atonement. It is a fundamental text for understanding the observance of Yom Kippur and the significance of this important day in Jewish religious practice. And so the Jewish people, they celebrate what is called Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And as a guide, they, and also as a historical document, they have what is called the Tractate Yoma, part of the Talmud. In addition to that, they also have the Baraisa. And in the Baraisa, it tells, it records the history of how the people of Israel observed um, the Day of Atonement. And according to them, these events that usually accompany uh, the Day of Atonement are as follows, one to five. The lot inscribed La Hashem would always appear in the right hand of the high priest. The high priest would randomly pick two lots from a box. One was inscribed La Hashem, the name, and the other was inscribed La Azazel. And this is recorded in Leviticus 16, 8 to 10. It was considered a good omen, a good sign, auspicious sign, if the lot inscribed La Hashem appeared on the right hand of the high priest during the Yom Kippur service. If you remember, in the Yom Kippur service, there were two goats, remember? Day of Atonement. One goat was to be sacrificed, and one goat was to be Azazel, and, and the scapegoat was released to the wilderness. And so what they would do the, to determine which goat is going to be sacrificed, which goat is going to be released, what the high priest will do is decide by lots. And so that he would reach into, announce to him, he will select the lot, and so one would be on his right hand, one would be on the left, right? And so that's how they determine which goat is which. And according to the Baraisa, if the lot that was chosen, and it happens to have the name Lahashem, or the lot Lahashem on the right hand of the priest, that would be a good omen. It's not always the case. Sometimes it's on the left. Sometimes it's on the right. What they want, what they would prefer is when the high priest would select the lot and it's, and when he opens his right hand, it will say La Hashem because that would mean a good omen, a good auspicious sign. Number two, a strip of scarlet dyed wool which was tied to the head of the scapegoat always turned white during the Yom Kippur service. Okay. Number three, the westernmost lamp of the temple menorah remained lit until the priest would use its fire to kindle the next day's lamps. Number four, the pyre on the altar did not require any additional wood to sustain a strong fire. There was a blessing upon the first fruits of the Omer, the two loaves offered on Shavuot, and on the 12 loaves of the showbread so that each priest was satisfied with a portion no larger than the size of an olive. 
Now see, these were the events that took place when they celebrated the Day of Atonement. So, you know, included there was the Scarlet Thread Mystery, and because you tie the Scarlet Thread on the goat, and also on the one that was to be sacrificed. And the hope is when they do this, the scarlet thread would turn white. According to Jewish tradition, it records that when the goat died in the wilderness, the red thread that was tied to the temple gate would turn white. This would indicate that Yahuwah accepted their sacrifices and has forgiven their sins. And so what's interesting is there's a historical record in the Talmud in Yoma 39, we take note, these are from Jewish sources who meticulously took record, and these are rabbis' attestations of what they see. This is the record of what they have observed, and this is what they said in Yoma 39b. Our rabbis taught during the last 40 years before the destruction of the temple, when was the temple destroyed? 70. AD, 70 AD, it was destroyed. 30 or 40 years before, 40 years before destruction. That was like, what, around 30 AD? So beginning 30 AD, that was when Yahusha was at the forefront of his ministry, right? And he was rejected by the Jews. And so at that time, beginning 30 AD, it says that, uh, that it, before the destruction of the temple, the lot that would say La Hashem for the Lord did not come up in the right hand, nor did the crimson colored strap become white, nor did the western most light shine and the doors of the Hekel temple would open by themselves. So something interesting happened around 30 AD, all the way to 70 AD, 40 years consecutively can you imagine that so consecutively from 30 AD to 70 AD the lot I mean what are the chances that when the high priest would select the lot that the on his right hand would be lash would would not be Allah La Hashem would be Azazel for 40 consecutive years what's the odds of that it also says that anomalies took place. The crimson colored strap became, uh, did not become white. The western uh, light it turned to uh, it was uh, it was blown out, and the doors would open by themselves. And so something must have happened. What was that? They rejected our King Yahusha. And because of this, their sins were no longer forgiven. They would no longer be the people of God. So you have like an indirect historical proof that Yahusha's ministry took place. And that rejection of his ministry resulted in judgment. This is why, brothers and sisters, today in this episode of the Logos, we preach Yahushua. And when we preach Yahushua, how do we do so? Corinthians 14, 29. Bible tells us in Corinthians 1, 23, 25. As for us, we proclaim the crucified Christ. A message that is offensive to the Jews. And nonsense to the Gentiles. We preach from the Bible. Yes. We witness for our King Yahushua using the Bible. Yes. What do we preach and proclaim about Yahushua? He was crucified. We preach he is the Messiah who was crucified, nailed on the cross on our behalf. Did you notice what Apostle Paul said? For the Jewish people, when you preach about a Messiah that is crucified, that's an offense. It's offensive to the Jews. You know why? Because to the Jews, the Messiah is not going to suffer. To the Jews, the Messiah is going to be this military leader who will overthrow Rome. And usher Israel to be the kingdom of God. All to be of the whole world. But what they do not know. Is that the crucifixion of Yahushua the Messiah. Was part of the plan. Because before restoration can take place. There has to be redemption. They did not want 
the part called redemption. He did not believe that part called redemption, but it's part of the plan. Without redemption, there cannot be no, there cannot, there cannot be a restoration. And so we preach Yahusha crucified because that's the work of redemption. But it's offensive to the Jews. Apostle Paul also says, it is nonsense to the Gentiles. Why? It's foolishness to them. This idea of death and resurrection is against the reasoning. It cannot be explained logically or scientifically. And many people today follow that same line of thinking that the Gentiles, the Greeks, do. Today, many people reject the Messiah. They reject Yahushua. They reject that he actually existed. Because if you were to accept that he existed, then you have to believe in the miraculous. And when you live in a scientific age, people don't like the miraculous. They don't accept it to be true. This is why people believe Alexander the Great more than they believe in the historicity of our King Yahushua. Because when you look at King Yahushua and the works he did, it requires that we believe in the miraculous, that we believe in the supernatural, that we believe that there are things beyond what we can see with our own eyes, that we believe in something that cannot be analyzed in a microscope or seen in a telescope. We cannot accept that. And so it's nonsense to the Gentiles. It's nonsense to the modern world today. But we preach it anyways. We preach Yahushua crucified. You know why? Apostle Paul also says, but for those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles. You see, there are Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks in the world today who will respond differently from the preaching of Yahushua who was crucified. Who are they? Those whom God called. Apostle Paul says, for those whom God called, whether Jews or Gentiles, this message is Christ who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For what seems to be God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And what seems to be God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Beloved brethren, take a look at the cross. During the first century, nobody wanted to talk about the cross. It was too shameful, too horrific, because it would bring thoughts in the mind a lingering image that was of torment that they would shy away from because it was so gross. Nobody wanted to talk about the cross. The cross is the epitome of human cruelty. Humans are known to be cruel. Ironically, it's what makes them different from animals. Animals kill, but animals are not cruel. But humans, for some reason, are cruel and they invent the cross. The Romans perfected the cross to make it as excruciating as possible, to prolong the agony as long as possible, and to make it as painful as possible, beginning with the scourging. Beloved brethren, the cross, nobody wanted to talk about it. But Yahuwah used the cross so that his son would establish a covenant with that cross. Yahuwah's power and wisdom was manifested in that cross because on that cross, his beloved son would die. And his beloved son on the cross would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On that cross, we find redemption, forgiveness of our sins. That's the wisdom and power of God. Also, Paul is preaching about the cross of Yahushua. The message of Yahushua is about the power of God to transform the cruelty of mankind into the salvation of God. Through Yahushua's sacrifice on the cross. It is a beautiful message of hope. Yahuwah God can transform the cross. Into a message of salvation. And that's what the Logos is all about. 
turning what is dark, making it into light, the Aleph Tav, the first and the last. The Aleph is a symbol of Yahuwah. And the Tav is a symbol of the cross, meaning covenant. In the very beginning of the Holy Bible, it was revealed, this Aleph Tav, the first and the last. Yahuwah would create a covenant through his son on the cross that we might be saved. Yes, Yahushua died on the cross, but he resurrected and went to heaven. And one day we will see the glorified Yahushua and we will feel comfort and reverence that will uplift our souls in Revelation 1. 17 to 18, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Beloved brethren, Yahusha existed. He is the Logos of God. He was the one who died on the cross for our sake so that we can be redeemed. But his work did not stop because he's the first and the last. And being the first and the last, he's going to finish what was started. Redemption and then restoration. Because Yahushua will return and we will see the risen Christ. Just like the Apostle John in this vision. And when he saw him, he fell as though dead. Because of the experience of awe before the risen Christ. The glorified Yahushua. One day we will see him, beloved brethren. Many people may reject him. But we accept him and believe him. And one day he will be with us. Face to face. But even now we can feel his presence and his embrace. And during times of tribulation and persecution, just like during the days of Nero, when they were hunted one after the other, we can experience the risen Christ. We can experience his presence and him laying his hand on us. And he tells us, do not be afraid, brethren. Do not be afraid because he's with us. Do not be afraid because he lays his right hand on us. And he says to us, I am the one who holds the keys of death and the grave. When we will see our King Yahushua, those who are in the grave, they will come out and be with him forevermore. He is the first and the last. The Aleph Tav. He is the fulfillment of the power and wisdom of God. The Logos. Who through him, he died as he died on the cross, a covenant would be created that will confirm and affirm that we will be saved. This is what we believe, and this is what we proclaim as witnesses of Yahusha in the assembly of Yahusha. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, merciful Yahuwah, full of grace and mercy. Yahuwah, your love never fails. You have gave up your son, which you planned long ago to suffer and die on the cross that we might be saved. Thank you, Father. We believe in him. We have faith in him. We only ask that the people we love who do not yet know and fully understand the meaning and power and wisdom of the cross, may they be transformed by the wisdom that you have blessed us with as we share this message with them. Father, bless those who have not been fully devoted fully committed to your son. Help us, all of us, that we might grip with all of our ability the hope we have through your sacrifice of your son. Yahushua, there are many things in this life that make us afraid. During these moments, we seek your presence. May you step into our life. Place your hand upon us. Tell us not to be afraid. 
for you are the first and the last, and we believe that. You are our king, and you hold the keys of death and Hades in your hands. Release your servants who are in the graves, the people we love when you return. May we see each other again, and may we see you face to face, that we might be under your embrace forevermore. May you strengthen our faith. Help us to share our faith. We are so privileged and blessed to be your representatives, to be your witnesses. We will do our best to witness for you, to speak to people about you, that more and more people will continue to worship and serve you. Father, please forgive all our sins. Bless our loved ones and heal us of all and any sicknesses we may have. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.